So John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read them. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And as his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with with saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and he came back seeing. Lord, we asked, Lord, this morning that you would open our eyes just as you open this man's eyes. And I pray that um, if there's any heart that is hardened this morning to your spirit, that you gently soften it and bring uh, them into full recognition of who you are, the Savior of the world, the light of the world, that you would illuminate their soul as you did this man. In the name of Jesus, amen. At the end of John 8, the previous chapter, the Jews who were superficial believers in Jesus ended up trying to stone him. Uh, That's not a good sign of being a true believer is when you try to kill Jesus. And so uh, he revealed, Jesus reveals to them that he is the I am. They were discussing this, said, hey, man, you're not as old as Abraham. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're more powerful than Abraham? All this stuff. And Jesus says, before Abraham existed, I am. And Jesus goes back and, and uses that phrase that, that Moses heard from God speaking to him out of the burning bush. And so Jesus equates himself with being God. That's exactly what he was saying. Hey, you know, who do you think you are? You think you're greater than Abraham? And he goes, I am the eternal God standing in front of you, the son of God, the father and I are one. And they picked up stones to stone him. And because it wasn't Jesus' time yet, verse 59 tells us that he kind of went through their midst. And so he supernaturally made it to where they didn't, kill him at that time. Six months later or so, he would be crucified. But he made his way out of that temple area, and right on the heels of that, he's walking out of the temple area, he's leaving the gated area, and, he, and there's, this, there's beggars in the gated area, because if you're a beggar, you want to hang out where people are coming to worship, right? And you want to you receive, people tend to be generous. And there was this man who had been born blind from birth, and as they're passing by, the disciples make this, they look at this guy, say, hey, who sinned? This guy or his parents, that this thing is going on, that he was born blind. Now, there were various um, beliefs during the day. We're all influenced by them even today. But the rabbis explained that there were various reasons for people's ailments. Um, You know, like for this guy's birth, uh, being born blind. Some thought that it was possible to sin in the womb. Like you could sin, and some mothers would agree, you know? (laughs) It's like, this little kid is a sinner, like... They're already making my life miserable. No, I'm just kidding. But some th- people thought you could sin in the womb. You know, you have David saying, hey, you know, I was, I was sinful before I was born, those kind of things. Others thought that parents' uh, sin caused the man to be bo- born blind as a punishment. Um, there were a lot of prevailing thoughts in the day, but the general idea seemed to be that health and prosperity were signs of God's blessing and that physical problems and all those types of things were signs of God's um, cursing. And so this teaching is, goes around today. It's, it's true today uh, that if you have some sort of sickness, that's the result of, it's result of some sort of direct sin in your life. And so that's kind of what, what 
of what the main thought, and by the way, that can be true. It's important to be able to delineate all this. That can be true. We know that death entered the world through Adam's sin. Adam sinned, and we're all kind of relatives of that. And so in a general sense, pain and suffering has its root in a fallen world of sin. That is why there is death. That is why there is suffering. That is why there is all these things going on. But what the disciples want to know is, is this blindness a direct, direct result? Not a general result, but a direct result. Who did what in order for this to happen? And I think quite often we ask those same questions when we're going through situations, when we're going through uh, ailments or pain or so. Did I do something wrong? Is, is it the result of my sin? Is this what's going on? And sometimes it is. And I, and I want to just kind of give you a New Testament background for that real quickly. We know from the New Testament that various ailments can come from a result of sin in the life of a believer, let's say. <clears throat> let's keep it to the believers right now. A few examples of that. Um, if you read in a part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is correcting the church who, who, was, who were taking communion together, but they were doing it in an unworthy manner. See, it was a little bit different. They had a love feast where they'd all gather together, they'd eat together, they'd drink together, and then they would remember the Lord at that table together. Well, what had happened is the people who were rich were neglecting the people who were poor, people were getting drunk, and the people who were beggars and had no food were being neglected, and so love was not being manifest at this table, and God's judgment was coming upon that church because the very thing that proclaims Jesus Christ Love for one another should have been displayed in that moment of communion, but it wasn't. The opposite was happening. And so Paul tells them in verses 29 through 30, he says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, in other words, when you take the cup, when you take the juice, be thinking about your own situation before God, right? We don't want to if you've got something wrong with someone, you got to correct that. You got to make that right because that's what love does, but he says anyone who drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And he says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And so Paul gives this apostolic insight into the church. He says, a lot of the reason for your sickness, a lot of the reason for your illness, the reason why so-and-so passed away, now I wouldn't be going into this, I'm not an apostle. He's saying it's because of sin. I don't know about you, that scares me. Anybody else? unresolved sin before the Lord. And so Paul lets them know that's the reason why some of them is sick and died. And so sin absolutely can lead to physical affliction as a result of discipline from the Lord, right? In the life of a bleeder. And this is why James exhorts us. If you just, what's the solution to this? Oh no. James exhorts us in James 5, 16. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be what? Healed. From what? from the mess that Paul's talking about. Pretty interesting, huh? We saw the other examples of sin afflicting people like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember Acts chapter 5? I mean, they just flat out died. God executed them because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. And so that sin resulted in death for that couple. Or the man who had been lame from, uh, for 38 years. Remember him back in, in John chapter 5? Jesus says to him after he goes and finds him after the whole thing, he says, hey, go and sin no more lest something worse happen to you. Kind of indicating that that was a result of sin. Same with the guy who was lifted down on, you know, in, the, in the room you know, by his friends. It seemed like he had some kind of situation that had caused him 
uh, to have a physical affliction and Jesus heals him because he forgives his sins in that moment. He doesn't just say, hey, you're healed. So there was a sin issue. So yeah, sin can lead to these things. Don't be fooled about that, right? And so although we are under the curse of sin and death because of Adam, there's a real correlation where our sinfulness leads to affliction, but disciples were wondering, what's the source of sin that causes man's affliction? Do you understand? It's like, what's going on here? But we find out in verse 3 that that is not the source of this man's affliction, which tells you that not all affliction is the result of our sinfulness directly, right? Jesus tells us the reason in verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed in him. How does that work? These are questions I have. How does that work? So there's a sinful fallen world where bad things happen to people, and yet God even allows, works through those circumstances, allows those circumstances to happen for his purposes and his glory. Above my pay grade, but that's the reality of it. We see here that the reason why this man was blind, that the works of God might be displayed in him. I hope that causes you to ask questions about the nature of God, about the purpose of God, and I hope it causes you to go deeper and ask the question, why? And at the end of that rainbow, you're going to find a neat treasure about the nature and character of God that will bless your life instead of writing him off right in the beginning, go, oh God, you got this, guy, this guy's blind so that you can do your thing. Let's see what happens. But the idea is that God's sovereign plan is that in this man's blindness, God would deliver him and do a great work through the Messiah. And think about it. This man's blindness has affected how many people? Throughout how, how long? How many ages? Momentary in light affliction for ages of being connected with Jesus Christ, his gospel, and his story. It is a, this is one of the most powerful sections of Scripture that you will find. So the reason is not sin here. It is the, for the glory of God. Ask that about your life. Am I suffering unnecessarily? <laughs> Have I run myself through with some kind of affliction because of my hard-heartedness towards the Lord? Or perhaps... Maybe God is using the affliction that you're in, the circumstance, the suffering that came upon you as an opportunity that the works of God might be displayed in and through your suffering. Pretty wild, huh? But here Jesus says, he turns around and tells his disciples, they're asking a question, but here Jesus gives the real answer. We must work the works of God of him who sent me, uh, works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there's a sense of urgency. Jesus is saying, night is coming. That means I'm going to be killed shortly. I'm the light of the world. And while I'm in the world, these things are going to be going out. I must do the works of the Father. There's a plan. There's a purpose that Jesus is going to fulfill. He's walking by. He knows it's the Father's plan to heal this man, to display that he is the Messiah. What a great honor. And it would be darkness for the disciples until the Holy Spirit fell upon them and the light of the world filled them, and then they were empowered to go do the same. And so those mighty works of the light had to be done while it was still light. Verse six, and having said these things, he did what I would not do. 
he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he's done this before. And then he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus knew that the father had a divine purpose for this man's blindness. And the imagery here is beautiful. And I want you to kind of track. There's what John's saying, and then there's also what the Holy Spirit is kind of communicating on the underneath side of this. Track it with me. Here's a man who has been in total darkness since when? Since birth. You see it? He has blindness all of his life. He could not see. And then Jesus, the light of the world, steps into his life and illuminates the darkness. That's the underpinning. That's what the Holy Spirit is communicating here in the Gospel of John. All throughout, and here's another imagery. Instead of the bread of life, instead of the water, he's starting to talk about blindness, spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. And if you look closely, you can see how the Holy Spirit is illuminating that for us in this man's blindness and miraculous healing the spiritual blindness, the spiritual sight of mankind, right? And so as you read this man's story of recovery of sight, track with me that parallel. What happens to a person when they go from death to life, when they become born again, when they receive spiritual sight? And the picture is a person blind from birth, seeing for the very first time. That's what happens when a person believes upon Jesus Christ. They're illuminated, that's the, that's the gospel. And just like this man's physical blindness, every single person is born into blindness. Every single person is blind, spiritually blind. And so please keep that picture in mind as we move forward because Jesus moves us from darkness to light. And so Jesus heals this man in this unique way making mud with his spit and putting it on his eyes. And let me just tell you that all the commentators talk about why and how, but the truth is no one knows why. Like, no one knows why. I mean, you got to guess, but why in the world did Jesus do this? I don't know. He's Jesus. And he tells them to go wash, wash it off. Let me ask you a question. And the guy receives a sight when he does that. So how many people, how many people do you know, does anybody know anybody who's been born blind and then has received their sight back? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying what? Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he is like him. (laughs) Right? He kept saying, I'm the man. Not like that. He's like, hey, that's me, right? It's, It's actually me. It's me. And so they said to him, tell us how your eyes were opened. This doesn't just happen. It's interesting how the neighbors react to this man, isn't it? When he's changed, when this happens to him, how they react. When he was healed by Jesus, it was just stunning to them. It was absolutely stunning. It was so stunning that they couldn't believe it. Their minds couldn't comprehend what had happened to this man. They were questioning if that was really him. They had to be convinced that it was him. He kept saying, no, that's me. It really is me. 
And going back to that picture of someone receiving spiritual light, someone who's been given that, who's been illuminated by the Lord, who's been born again, who's truly received the Lord Jesus, when they're born again, they're, they're a totally changed person. Something changes in their life, in their heart. They're a different person. They've encountered the Lord. His light is in their life. And so much so that people can see it. There's a, there's a visible change in someone. I've seen it in so many, and in many of you, as you've come to know the Lord, as you've come to grow in Him, that there's a change, a, a, a real change in your life. There's something that switched, it's different. You know, the day that you heard the gospel and surrendered your life to the Lord, you were changed, and then how many of you have experienced that? People around you kind of start to question, who are you? I know you're you, but it's like, it's not the same. There, and some of you, that happens instantaneously. Some of that happens over a period of time as God is working on your heart. I'm not trying to come up with a formula, but the idea is that when someone's born again, there's a change in your life because Jesus is in your heart and he wants to get out, right? Into everybody else's life. The, the nature of light, it shines, amen? And so... There's a total change, and people are amazed, and they can't comprehend what happened. I remember when I came back to the Lord. You know, this is kind of how it is. Like, was I saved at four or at 19 or 20? I don't know, but all I know is I was blind, but now I see. But I do know for a fact that when I came back to the Lord, all my friends were like, what in the world happened to Matt? I think the drugs got to him. Like, he's, he's lost his mind. Like, he doesn't. He's not cussing anymore, and he's like, he's like honest, and there's like things that are just, what, what's wrong with him? Like, what's right with him? I mean, there's things that change. Now, some of you are going, well, there needs to be more work, and we obviously know that, but, <laughs> but there's a radical shift, and, and, and guess what happens then? That is your witness. You see, it's not you know, this religiosity, it's that Jesus is in your life and it changes you from the inside out. That is the difference between religion and being born again. Nicodemus said, you know, hey, let's, let's do all these outward things. I must be born again. Okay, let's technically get all this stuff correct. And it's like, no, Christ must come into your heart. You must believe. And when you believe, he'll come in and he will change you at four years old or at 99 years old or some of you, if you live to be beyond that. God is waiting to make you born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. But there's that radical change in your, in your life as the light comes in. And this man had just been given his sight in being confronted by his neighbors, seeing uh, basically who are seeing him for the you know, first time, or he's seeing them for the first time, by the way, and they're asking him how this happened, and he just says, man, a, a man named Jesus, right? He answered there in verse 11, you know, uh, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash, and so I went and washed and received my sight, and they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know where is is right? I don't know where he is. I don't know all that stuff yet. But he was changed. 
And he just says, I don't know. And so what do they do? Verse 13, they want answers. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. They, they brought him to the religious leaders of, of the city because you figure those guys have the answers, right? And so wanting to find the answers, bring them for their leaders, and these guys are supposed to, you know, here they are. Ask them, verse 14. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Oh, joy. <laughs> so we know this is most likely the day after because they're not going to convene anything on the Sabbath, right? And so the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. So they're quizzing this man. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. <laughs> Maybe that's why Jesus did it, just to confound them. You know what I mean? It's like, no, that's not right. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not, what? Keep the Sabbath. And so the healed man's brought before these guys, and it says that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, and so instead of rejoicing that this man was healed, they looked at this opportunity as an infraction upon the law of Moses. They said, you're breaking the law of Moses. You are not legitimate. You're not legitimate. And this is the, these are the two things, by the way, that they keep bringing up. Over and over, every time Jesus comes to Jerusalem, they say the same thing to him. What do they say? This man is not from God, and he breaks the law. He's a lawbreaker. And they were undermining his authority. But here's the problem. Verse 16. But others said, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? How do you reconcile the fact that there's incredible power exuding from this man like no other, anybody would ever walk the earth? How do you reconcile that? No one has ever healed a blind person. What's going on with this guy? And so there's a division within the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees were, were doubting that he was a sinner. It doesn't mean they believed, but they, they were wondering if he was a god from a prophet. We know Nicodemus was among him. Remember Nick, Nicodemus, Nick at night, right? John 3, 3. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He said that they knew that he was from God. So there's this division within them. And we find out later in Acts that many of the Pharisees actually came to faith in the Lord. And then they caused problems, you know. But anyways, that's church. <clears throat> and so if it was true that he wasn't from God and was a lawbreaker, how could he do such things, right? And how could he open the eyes of the blind? What was the power behind Jesus Christ? And this is why you see them going, trying to reconcile when they don't take the obvious, they have to come up with something. There was a demon in Jesus. And that's what you get in the last chapter, and that's what you're going to get in the next chapter. And so God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, no, I'm not going to accept that answer. Therefore, we came from monkeys. And, and it's just like, no. The obvious is right in front of you. There is a creator. This is the Messiah. No one does what he does. Except for what? He's got to have a demon. That's, that's got to be it. So they couldn't reconcile the two. You see that? Because they would not believe the obvious. Do 
Jesus made it so plain, so clear that he was from God. He wasn't breaking the law of Moses. He was actually fulfilling the law of Moses in love, and he was also fulfilling all that the prophets had said about him right there in front of their eyes, and they should have known it, and that's the point. So they said again to the blind man, verse 17, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? They go right back to him. So they're speaking to the eyewitness. (laughs) And he said, he is a prophet, not the answer they wanted. He's a prophet, not the answer. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight. So they got mom and dad, and they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is their son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. (laughs) <laughs> he'll speak for himself. That's what most parents do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> His parents said these things because, the, why? They feared who? The Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone should confess that Jesus is the Christ. What? He would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Listen, that was the center of a Jew's universe. The temple was the capital You came there three times a year. Your whole life was wrapped up in the worship of God and with his people, and you got excommunicated. You're like a tax collector. You're like a leper. You're ostracized. Your whole world is gone. And that's why when you became a Christian, it wasn't just like follow me. It was follow me and lose everything. That's why Jesus said, unless you lose your life, you will not gain it. Serious stuff. The Jewish leaders were so hard-hearted toward Jesus and his claim to be the Son of God that they would not believe the man who was healed by Jesus or his neighbors. They had to go to his parents, and his parents were so scared of saying something affirming of Jesus that they passed the buck. They said, go listen to him. And so here he is. He speaks. And by the way, this guy is awesome. Gary and I were talking about that. This guy is awesome. Listen to his mind. Like for being blind, and maybe not being able to read a book, the guy gave that guy some incredible insight. And so for the second time, they called the man, verse 24, who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. You got to love that. Give glory to God. In other words, tell us what we want to hear. That's exactly what's going on there. That it's all lies. Verse 25, listen to the man's reply. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, Now I see. This is the evidence, guys. I was blind beggar from the beginning, and now I see. You've got to reconcile that. And this is the whole purpose of John's writing. He keeps doing these miracles and these signs over and over and over and over so that we would know that Jesus was truly among these people. They touched him. They handled him, as as Marcus had said. And he was the son of God, really doing these things. And he proved that what he offered is for anyone who would believe. He will give you eternal life by believing upon him as Lord and Savior. It's fascinating. He will do it. Now, today, And they said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> it's like, he's new to this. <laughs> Verse 28, and they reviled him, saying, you are a disciple, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. That was their claim. We are the real deal. We are the authority. We are the power. We're the disciples of Moses. This guy, who is he? Who's his authority? He's not from God. He's a lawbreaker, and he's got a demon. Listen to this man's answer. Verse 30, and the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. <laughs> you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. If anyone should know in all this land who this guy is, it's you guys, right? He continues, verse 31. Listen to this insight. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does this, well, God listens to him. Could you imagine that? He's begging. He can't see. All those years, this is in his heart. How do I do his will? I have no sight. And this is, this is what he goes, I'm a worshiper of God. I hear what he says, and, and I want to obey him. Beautiful picture there. And then he says in verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The man was convinced of it. No one is opening my eyes. No one could have opened my eyes. This does not happen. He did it, and here I am. I was blind, but now I see. And this is the point. The man who was just blind sees what is clear. And the people who claim to have sight are blind. That's the purpose. Read verse 1 and read the last verse in the chapter. That's what John's talking about. Spiritual blindness. And this is the point. The man who is just blind sees what is clear. That Jesus is from God. There is no other explanation. And the ones who are supposed to see were the blind leading the blind. How dangerous that is. That's why Jesus gave him such a hard time Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. The very thing that this man's parents feared happened to him. It happened to him. He was cast out of the synagogue. This means he was excommunicated from the religious life, the social life of Israel he was no longer welcome in the temple. He couldn't worship with them. He was shunned by everyone. He was now treated like a tax collector and a leper, like an unbeliever, basically. By the way, that's what's supposed to happen to those in the church who do not repent. Why? So that they realize, don't continue to walk in the darkness. Come to the light. It's an act of love and an act of obedience but it's not supposed to be used as a tool to get your way. 
And that's what they're doing. Total abuse of power. And the very thing this man's parents feared happened to him. He's excommunicated. Now in keeping with the picture that's kind of below that the Holy Spirit is painting here through John, someone who's received spirit of someone who's received spiritual sight. It's interesting when a person comes to faith in Christ, there's a there's that radical change in their life, right? And then they start witnessing. They start witnessing because Jesus has done a great work in their heart. You can't help but witness if you're born again, church. It comes out of you to one degree or another, right? And then the one testifying of the true light of the world, as we do that, we find that even our own families can dismiss us or reject us like his parents did. Go talk to him. We're not going to be a part of this. And ultimately, as we continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ, what happens? There's persecution. Plan on it. Plan on it. It's a promise. It's one of those promises, you know, in your promise book. Hey, you open it up the day, hey, you will be persecuted. Like, who wants that fortune cookie? It's true. You will be persecuted. What for? For being a snob? For being mean? For being right-wing? No. Jesus said, to his disciples in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, the Sermon on the Mount, he's already talked about the, the process of being saved and what the end result of salvation is, rejection by the world. The same thing that happened by him. And he says in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed, oh, how happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, and he keeps going, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of stuff, kinds of evil against you. Why? Falsely for my name's sake. Notice it's all about his name's sake. And then what does he say to do? Verse 12. Rejoice. I don't know about you, but I get sad when I get persecuted. Anybody else? He says to rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted who? Whose company are you in? The prophets who are before you. You're in great company. We don't go out to go get persecuted. That's not our aim. But as you share the light, realize that there's a dark world that will reject Christ, just as you did for a long time, right? Expect it, but also understand that in it, there's great joy. Jesus is the response to persecution, not that you're getting beat up, but that there's reward. Not that you're being hurt and they're calling you names, but there's reward. In other words, it's worth it. God's not going to forget. And, he, and here he says, not only are you going to be rewarded from persecution, but you're going to be comforted by the Lord. The Lord comforts you in that, and I think it's so beautiful when you undergo persecution for his name. Now, keep in mind, this man hasn't yet come to the Lord, but there's this underlying picture that's going on here that's being weaved into us by the Holy Spirit. So he goes from being blind to seeing, being born again, to witnessing, to being rejected and persecuted, and now being comforted. Look what happens in verse 35. And so Jesus heard that they what? that they cast about, and having what? Found him. What does that tell you about Jesus? 
It's a lot of people there right now. A lot of people in this place. A million people maybe gathered in that city for this festival. Jesus finds him. He seeks him out. And he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus sought the man out. Know that about the heart of God. He seeks out sinners. He seeks out the sheep. He goes and gets them. The ones who have been cast out falsely, he brings into his. You know, I was thinking about the parable just now, just of how Jesus sent out, uh, how Jesus tells the parable of how there's a king who sends out an invitation all over the place. And all the people who were supposed to be there had excuses to why they couldn't be there. That's usually how it goes, right? And so the king got mad. He says, well, what I want you to do is I want you to go send the invitation on the highways and the byways. I want you to go to the people who weren't supposed to get it. I want you to go to the people who, the other people. The people you wouldn't invite the first time. Go to them. And then those people came and the person said, hey, there's still more room. Well, just fill the place. Keep on going. And he goes to the lowest lows. And guess who responds? The lame, the beggars, the blind. Those who are broken. Isn't that our Jesus? He goes and he seeks and he's calling, come, 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 come. And he sends us as messengers to go. Say, come, come, come. Jesus sought out the man. I love that about him. He had compassion on this man. And Jesus seeks him, he finds him, and he saves him. He saves those who are lost. And Jesus asks him, notice he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man, right? Now, the term was a term for Messiah. The Jews, he's not having to explain this to this Jew. He, He knows, apparently, the book of Daniel, and he knows that the Son of Man is referring to the Messiah, the man's heart is ready to believe, but he doesn't know who the Messiah is. Show me who to believe in. I'm ready. God had already prepared his heart. And so what does he say? And so Jesus graciously tells him, you have seen him, and you now hear him think about that. He hasn't seen a whole lot of people. He says, you've now seen him, and now you hear me. My sheep hear my voice. And he said, verse 38, Lord, I believed, I believe, and he worshiped him. He worshiped Jesus. Got a theological problem here. If he's God, then what's going on? If he's not God, he is God. And he is worshiped, and he receives it. And here the blind man receives the spiritual sight as he believes upon Jesus as the Son of Man, as the Messiah, as the Savior. And this is how a person is born again. The Lord comes, he convicts you of your blindness, he convinces you of your blindness and shows you that he is the Savior, that he died for your sins to save you from the blindness of sin. And he is the only way out. You don't have the ability to heal yourself. And so you call out to him, say, yes, Lord. And he saves you. You believe in the promise, but it's all his work. What grace. And then worship is the response of a believer. That's what a, a worship, that's what a Christians are. We're worshipers of Jesus Christ. That's the response. 
Are you a worshiper? Is there a place in your heart to sing songs to the Lord, to praise, to talk about Him, to declare Him? By the way, it's not just musical. That's, that's just one expression of worship, but a life that's dedicated to Him and talking about Him and showing Him from the inside out, not from the outside in. Peter describes it this way, 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen race. What's going on there, Peter? What do you mean by chosen race? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special possession from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Amen? Praise the Lord. That you may what? Why were you chosen? Why were you saved? That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of what? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. Worshippers. People who are born again, translated from darkness to light, are worshipers. And here this man worships Jesus. And right on the heels of this, real quickly, let's finish this up. Jesus says in verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Wow. Jesus came to divide the world into two groups, or to show us that we're divided into two groups. Those who see and those who don't. Those who believe, those who don't. Those who are born again, those who are not. The sheep and the goats. He came to save a people out of the darkness who would believe. And so Jesus further clarifies in verse 40, and some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. What does that mean? It means because they refused to acknowledge their blindness, their guilt remained. You see, Jesus in John 3 was explaining that to Nicodemus. He said, listen, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. They're already blind. I came to give them sight. I came to give them spiritual life. And the condition is repentance. The condition is faith in Jesus. The condition is, I'm blind as a bat, God, and I will never get out of this. Save me. And Jesus is like, that's the work I've been doing in your heart. And so, it is the person who calls out in blindness in their slavery to sin, to Jesus, to save them, that God has mercy upon and gives sight to. Amen. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, this is in Revelation 3, this is speaking to the church, by the way, so this is interesting, but he says in Revelation 3, 15 through 18, and I'll close with this, he says, I know your works. You are neither hot, I'm sorry, neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, I wish, So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am what? I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing their true condition, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, this is the the hardness of men's heart will not accept it when we're confronted with our darkness. We reject it. 
And Jesus keeps going. And it's not for the purpose to rub our nose in it. It's the purpose to heal us. Amen? He took that upon himself. You don't realize that your real condition is you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And here's Jesus' solution. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may what? So that you may see. That you may really see. You see, the problem with mankind is that we insist we see in Jesus and his graciousness confronts us and gives us his true light. Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning. Respond. Amen. The blind man was given spiritual sight. The person who thought they had sight remained in their darkness. How about you? Amen. As many of you know, um, a hymn was inspired by this, right? It's called Amazing Grace. It has a line from verse 25 that says, I was blind, now I see. You guys know that one, right? It's interesting, John Newton, who wrote this, he lived in the 1700s, 1800s, around that time. He, he actually became a slave trader in East Africa. He was like 11 years old when he went uh, on his dad's ship, like it was just a trader, but then he got, he was totally like, he was doing all the things that young men do. Let's just say that at church. And he got caught up in slave trading, and that's exactly what he did. And he eventually was so involved in it, he became his, his the, the captain of his slave trading ship. He had his own ship. And as the story is told, on March 10th, 1748, while he was traveling by boat back to England from Africa, there was a storm, and he thought, he literally thought, everything was gone, going down. Now, a captain usually knows when things are going down, and so it was pretty bad. And while the storm was raging, he was reading a book, you know, what else are you going to do? Um, it was called Imitations of Christ by Thomas A. Kemp, who was a Dutch monk back in the 1400s. But anyways, this experience, along with the book, led, uh, led to Newton's conversion and acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He, he was changed. And here's the thing. Newton kept on slave trading for a couple years. He kept on doing that. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so heavy on this guy's heart that eventually he abandoned it all and actually went on the other side and became an, an anti-slavery advocate. I mean, God just totally transformed this person. And so after clerking in England, he was just such a broken, changed man. He became a pastor and eventually append amazing grace. And that's where these things, at the end of his life, um, his, his mind started to give way and he was still in the pulpit. I'm sure maybe you'll experience that with me shortly, but <laughs> one of his quotes was pretty precious. It says, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. He knew the blindness of his sin that held him as a young man on those slave ships, and he knew the great grace of Jesus who freed him from his slavery of sin to give sight, not only to free him from what he did, but to do righteous, to live righteously in the light.
May we be those by God's grace who were once blind but now see. Amen? Let's sing Amazing Grace together.